I absolutely love the weekends. Like the weekends are our main events. Monday through Thursday is, is paperwork, it's fun, but Friday, Saturday, Sunday is awesome. Uh, I start off Friday and Saturday with three of my sons, seven basketball games, and so that's always exciting. For those that don't like sports, uh, sorry, but for those that do, it's, it's awesome watching your kid play in sport. Uh, I, I wish we would win a little bit more than what we did this past weekend, um, but at least we're out there competing, having fun, having a great time. And then to wrap it up, our day of recovery, we come and we worship the Lord and thankful for what he's done for us and the salvation we have. And so I just absolutely love weekends. I am living my dream. When we got married, me and my wife, 22 years ago this week, I said to my wife, when we start having kids, I want it to be about me. I want it to be Scott and the boys or Scott and the girls. Like whatever we have the first one with, I don't care. But let's just have all the same as if like I had any say in what happened with children. Uh, but we started having children at a young age, and we had a boy, and I was like, this is awesome. We're just going to have three or four boys. It's going to be great. And then um, the second person, child came along. It was a boy, home run. Um, third boy came along, another home run. Um, fourth kid came around, and my wife had to know, are we going to get our, our little Hannah? Will little Hannah come around, or will we have boy number four? I wanted to be surprised because, you know, I've, I've had the experience of knowing the first three and their gender, but I wanted to be surprised with the fourth. And so we had this deal that I would go to our appointments with her, but when they started talking about the gender of the baby, I would go in the hallway. And I still remember distinctly uh, going to the ultrasound, and I go wait in the hallway, and and uh, I hear my wife just yell out the words, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and that's when I knew I hit the lottery. <laughs> I am living my best life. I don't have to pay for weddings. I don't have to have the emotions of daughters. And let me know, I want to tell you how I raise my children. I don't let them beat me in anything. Like, you know how you go out in the backyard, and you're like, oh, you beat me in basketball? That, no, that doesn't happen. I don't care if we're playing basketball, if we're playing cards, if we're seeing who can clean up the quickest, I will give 100% and never let my children beat me, ever, until the last few months. Uh, my brother-in-laws and I were very athletic. We're all, we, each of us were all state in something in high school very athletic, and uh, we've got these 15, 16, and 17-year-old boys that we've been playing touch football with for years, and we generally beat them or sneak out a win, and it, it's generally pretty close, but you get some old man strength, uh, you get some old man skills, and you just learn how, to, learn how to win the game, even if it's not fair, you just learn to win the game. <laughs> and so we're playing this past year. And um, we're huddling up, and we're running plays, and we know the plays that work. But for some reason, our bodies aren't doing <laughs> what we want them to do. And so I say, I'm going to run up here. I'm going to cut and just throw it high. I'm going to jump, and I'm going to catch it just like I did when I was 18. And I slowly move my body forward. I slowly move my body to the right. And I tell my body to jump in the air, and there's no jump. And everything is here, it's just not here. 
and we played them, and we got absolutely smoked in our touch football game. And it reminded me that, that Father Time wins 100% of the time. And it reminds me over the past two decades, there has been a fade in my athleticism. I just haven't noticed. But this year it hit like a ton of bricks. And whether we realize it or not, our bodies will fail us. And when we come to the point where we have to take care of ourselves a little bit more, I, I think we'll be better off, but we're still going to fade. And that's okay. That's part of life. As Pastor Frank said, we'll, we, we look forward to our heavenly bodies and being with God one day in the presence of Jesus Christ and many of our family members and friends that have gone on before us. But what I want to talk to you today is about the fade of faithfulness. The fade of athleticism will fade. That just will happen. The fade of faithfulness should not happen. And if we were to look around this congregation, I think we could all sit down and talk about people that used to serve or used to be here, used to be involved in church. Maybe it's family members or friends that you grew up with here in church that just aren't here anymore. That they had this fade of faithfulness of serving God, but no longer serving God in the book of Judges, we've looked at a, a few messages in the past talking about these different judges of, of how for 430 years, God chose individuals to lead his nation. And his nation would go through, the nation of Israel, his chosen people, they would go through this sin cycle about every 40 or 50 years. Every 40 years is a generation, and so as one generation would forget their God, they would fall into sin. And they would say, hey, let's start worshiping this this idol over here. And God would say, I love those people too much to let them continue to worship something that isn't me. That's why sometimes when we find ourselves off track, God allows things to come into our lives to get our attention. So they would go into this sin cycle and another nation would come in and take them captive. And after being involved in captivity for a few years, they would say, this really stinks. We don't like being ruled by other nations. Let's repent. And they would repent of their sin and God would raise up a leader to take them out of captivity and take them back to where they should be. And there was 12 leaders that they talk about in the book of Judges, six major ones and six minor ones. Just the minor ones weren't any less uh, important. It just less is written about them, so you can't really preach about someone you only have one verse about. But we've looked at Othniel and Ehud and Deborah and Gideon and, and the great story of Gideon. But I think there's a second part to Gideon that we don't talk about all that much. We, we see the experience of how God worked in his life and how magical and, and, and spiritual it must have been. But then after that, we see just uh, what we're going to look at today is four little choices that leads him to a fade of unfaithfulness. Um, I don't think Gideon came off this mountaintop experience of what God had done with him and said, you know what, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm not going to follow him anymore. But I think what Gideon does, and we're going to see in these verses, is he just says, you know what, faithfulness is good, but kind of relaxation is a little good too. You know what, having nice things is pretty good too. You know what, having people admire you is pretty good too. And you know what, finally, like doing what I want to do really feels good. So that's what I'm going to do. And so as we look through these verses, we're going to see Gideon, like I said, not really turn his back on God, but just make this slow little fade. 
And Gideon's gone through some incredible things. We talk about the story of, of how Gideon was really chosen by God because he was an awful leader. He was called all valiant warrior, even though he was hiding from people. It says that he, he had this nation of 32,000 fighting men, and he's going to go up against 135,000 people. And God says, you know what, if that were to happen, people would believe you're a good leader. I'm going to put you in such a corner that no one will believe what you're doing is of you. They're going to realize that only God could perform something like this. And Gideon says, well, I'm not really sure if you're with me. Can you give me a sign? So an angel comes. The meat is consumed on the rock. We see that the fleece is wet. The fleece is dry. We overhear the army is scared. And he goes through all these different signs that God says, Gideon, I am with you. I am with you. Get rid of 22,000 men and they go home. Get rid of another like 9,700 men. And so we see 300 people that Gideon has going up against 135,000. This would be like a huge upset. This would be like 1980 U.S. hockey versus Russia. Do you believe in miracles? Kind of upset like you've got to be kidding me. The nation is going crazy. The biggest event this nation has ever seen and it goes on to say in the next couple of verses in between that story and our story today that 15,000 Midianites got away. And so Gideon and his army went and chased after them and struck them down until they were completely destroyed. And we pick up this verse here, um, really finishing off the last story. We talked about how your, your past doesn't define your future. Just because you've made mistakes in the past doesn't, doesn't mean that has to be your future of making mistakes. But the point I want to look at today, and it's just warnings, just reminders, that just because you're faithful today doesn't mean you'll be faithful tomorrow. Just because you're here involved in church today doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be faithful to God next year. And I think there's things we can put in our life, and like I said, if you're here first service, you're the best of the best. You've got up early this morning. You're not streaming. Thank you for streaming. But if you're here, you're the best of the best. Right, right. You don't sleep in like the 11 o'clock service. You are here. You are up praising God. I saw all but like three people raising their hands and praising God today. You are the best of the best. But I want us to put these away just to be reminded when we think, you know what, maybe church isn't as important as, it, as, it, as people say it is. You know, maybe being involved in groups and ministry isn't as important as what people say it is. Just things to keep in our back pocket so we remember that we don't fall into this fate of faithfulness, unfaithfulness. All right, verse 22, Judges chapter 8. We'll be uh, going through about eight or nine verses here. And we're going to see this first little step that Gideon takes. It's not a big one, it's not a bad one. But in verse number 22, it says, The men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandsons also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my sons will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Man, I think this is absolutely great at first read. Like they're asking him, hey, you be ruler over us. And if someone asked me to be ruler over them, and like I could tell them whatever they, uh, they had to do, like I thought that would be pretty cool. But Gideon understands his role, and he says, I will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. But I think this is the first chink in the armor that we see in Gideon. It's the first little opportunity where what he should have said as a great leader was, I didn't win this victory for us. I didn't have 
this great plan. I didn't save you. I was the leader of the process, but God did all the saving. Remember why Gideon was chosen? He was chosen because he was a scaredy cat to prove that God had the power to take these 300 versus 135,000 men. He was chosen not because he could do this on his own. He was chosen to prove the power that God had in and through him. And so we see the process of him not giving God that initial glory. Not even saying, you know what, hey, I was there for it, but God did all the work. And so I think for the first time he kind of thought like, hey, maybe I did something great. You know what, I, I was the leader. People are talking good about me. Like, like maybe I am a pretty good person. And he doesn't give God the glory that he should. So point number one this morning, the first little step of our fade to unfaithfulness is taking credit for what is not ours. Taking credit for what is not ours. God did all the work. It was his plan, his confusion, um, and it was the design to know that it really was an act of God. I think when we think about how good we are, we got our Sunday best on. I got my fancy pants on. You know I'm preaching when I'm not wearing jeans, right? right? You look in the hallway and you say he's wearing khakis or fancy pants. He's preaching, all right? I'll be in jeans next week, so we're good. But we may think good about ourselves because we, we dress up and, and we look good. But Scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter um, 64, verse 6, it tells us our best work is like filthy rags, Right? We may have great accomplishments here on earth, but our best works apart from God are absolute garbage, absolute trash. But we want to think more highly of ourselves and give ourselves credit. Like, look at my group. Look at my ministry. Look at my family. And what God is saying is, yeah, 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 whatever. The best you have is like a filthy rag, but I love you anyway. And when we understand that Jesus Christ came down to us when we were still enemies of God, it's not like we had done something great in, in our lives and, and we were serving here in the church and, and leading a ministry and telling people about Jesus and, and God comes down to us and is like, hey, I want to make you a junior partner. You're doing a great thing and I want you to stop being an enemy of me and you can be a, a faithful son or daughter of me. There is nothing good in us. And still he came down to us and says, I, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. And I want you to know who I am. Guys, I don't want to get all like Christianese on this all the time. We can take credit for stuff once in a while, right? right? We don't have to be like, hey, your lawn looks good. Well, praise God that I'm able to come out here and mow the lawn and, and have the health. Have that in the back of our mind, but just, just say thank you. Right? When, when someone gives you credit for something, you, we can just say thank you, but know in the back of our mind that it's only through God who gives us the health. It's only through God who gave us the resources to do those types of things. In, in leadership, I, I like this phrase, and it's stuck with me for a long time. It says, success is rented, and rent is due every day. Right? Just because your business has done well in the past, just because you've done well at your job, just because you've had that success in the past doesn't mean that success will continue. And I'd like to just to change that a little bit and come up with the phrase that faithfulness is rented and rent is due every day. Just because we're faithful today does not automatically guarantee that we'll be faithful tomorrow. That payment is due tomorrow. 
where we get up and we choose to be faithful to God in the midst of everything else that's going on in our lives. Our salvation is wrapped up. There's nothing that can take us away from the salvation we have with Jesus Christ. And I think if there's anything encouraging, just wait another 20 minutes till the end of the message, and I'll tell you the most encouraging thing about God to Gideon here and the last sentence of what I say somewhere around 1245. So just buckle up because there's a lot more verses we got to get through. But faithfulness is an option that we choose every day. Man, if you've seen God work in your life, And I think if we journaled a little bit more than what we did, we would be reminded of how God's worked in our lives. The problem is, God working in our lives is a lot like what I ate last month. I don't remember what I ate last month. I might remember a meal or two. But it sustained me for that day. And I don't remember what God taught me and what God always did every day of last month. But it sustained me. It guided me. It directed me during that time. And and, and we see that Gideon has gone through all these these things that he's seen. None of us have seen an angel. None of us have seen just like meat consumed and burned up. None of us have prayed for a fleece to be wet and it's wet, a fleece to be dry and it's dry. None of us have seen what Gideon has seen. Gideon has seen firsthand the power of God. But yet he still goes back and doesn't necessarily give God the glory. Because pride sneaks in. When we take credit, pride sneaks in, and and the world or God, whatever you want to call it, has an interesting way of keeping us humble from time to time. Guys, I'm reminded of how great I am all the time. You people are great encouragers, and and, and sometimes you'll come up, and Pastor Frank is the absolute worst, by the way. I know what he's going to say after this sermon, right? He's going to go, Scott? That is the greatest message I've ever heard. And you know what you should change about it? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Like, he's just an encourager. That's what it is. And sometimes you feel good. And then, then other times, I, over the years, I've had people come up to me and say, Scott, you have just done a work in the life of my son or daughter. And I just praise God for you. And I, I'm like starting to feel good, right? Right? Because, you know, we all have kids and spouses that tell us otherwise. But we're feeling good about ourselves right? And they say, you know, what you've done with them and, and their drug addiction, and, you, and it's at that point I, I'm reminded, you know what, you're not talking about Scott Lewald. You're talking about Scott Derrick. You're talking about someone else. And they'll go on to say something about me, and I have to stop them like, no, you're talking about a different pastor. Thank you for the encouraging words. Or, or sometimes they'll talk about a sermon I preached and something I said, and I'll be like, I guarantee you I never said that. You've got to be confused with someone else. So God just has an interesting way of like, you start to feel good about yourself, and then reality sets back in. Or you, you, you explode at something you shouldn't explode at. Just an interesting way of keeping us humble, and I think the way we stay humble is giving God the glory for everything good that happens in our lives. Amen. All right, point number two, verses 24 through 26. Again, not a horrible thing to do, but probably not a position of leadership he should be taking here. Verse number 24, and Gideon said to them, let me make a request from you as people are coming back from the battle. Let me make a request for you. Every one of you give me an earring from his spoil. And they had gold earrings because they're Ishmaelites. And he said to them, we will willing them they will willingly give them to us. Uh, So he spread out a cloak, and every man threw in an earring of the spoil, and the weight of the gold of that was 1,700 shekels, about 40, 45 pounds of gold, besides the crescent ornaments, the pendiments, and purple garments worn by the king of Midian. 
and besides the collars and all around the necks and camels, all this other stuff he'd given to Gideon. It's not a bad thing. Like, the day and age we live in, if you go pay with your credit card somewhere, it doesn't matter what you're doing, someone's going to ask for a tip, right? Everywhere you're at, they're asking, hey, can you just give a little bit more back? Can you just, um, I was at the vet the other day paying for my dog's surgery, um, and uh, I slid my credit card, and they didn't ask for a tip, and I said to them, like, you guys got to be the only people in town not asking for, for tips these days. Everyone's want." She goes, well, I could run it for a tip if you'd like. <laughs> I said, no, thank you. <laughs> what Gideon is doing here is symbolic of what a king would have done for his nation. A king would finance the army as he sent them out to battle. And the king would say, because of how I finance, because of how I've taken care of you, please give something back to me. Please reimburse the money or the effort that we have put in and give something back to me personally so I can be more richer than anything else. And point number two, we find ourselves thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. God can work in our lives. God can do great things in our lives, but sometimes we think more highly of ourselves. And I'm reminded of Romans 5.10, while we were enemies of God, we became reconciled through the death of his son. Guys, we didn't know what Jesus Christ had done on the cross. We didn't know the extent of a relationship with him would be until we first came to him. And we understood just a little bit that I can receive forgiveness of my sin. That I can have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Guys, the more we open up the word of God, the more we understand who we are spiritually, I think the greater that gift seems to us. You mean I can do whatever sin I want here on earth and have sin earthly repercussions, but God's not going to hold that against me in heaven? It's not like I'm going to be on the outskirts of heaven and not getting in the inner circle. No, like nothing will be held against me because I've been forgiven of every sin I have committed and every sin I will commit. And if that doesn't make you feel good about yourselves, I don't know what can. But it says in Romans 5, as we weren't doing anything good, but God still came to us at that moment. It says, I love you in the midst of your filth. I love you in the midst of your sin. And I want you to be that son or daughter of mine. And I think when we view ourselves that way, one, there's nothing good in us apart from God. Number two, he came to us at our worst day when we didn't know him and we were enemies of him. He says, I don't want to just bring you as in a friend. I don't want to bring you in as a partner, but I want to bring you in as a son and daughter who if you have needs, you come to me. If you need to talk, you talk to me. And the creator of this universe wants to know us on that personal level. And so when we start to think more highly of ourselves, I think the humility that sets in is one, we're not as good as we think we are. Two, our best is as filthy rags. And number three, while we were enemies, God still loved us. What a great God we, we serve. What an amazing opportunity we have as Christians. And that's why we get together on Sundays. That's why we listen online to worship the God who loves us that much. Amen? All right, point number three. Verse number 27. And Gideon made an ephod and put it in his city in Ophrah, and all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. An ephod would have been like an, an outer garment that the high priest would have worn. Gideon had no business having anything to do with this ephod. 
had no business of, of having it set up. And what we see Gideon in just the midst of a few months goes from a person who tears down idols to a person who sets up idols. You guys remember the first thing that Gideon was commanded to do? It wasn't to go to battle. The very first thing that Gideon was commanded to do, he says, listen, hey, there's this idol in your city that your dad put there. I need you to go tear it down. Gideon was still kind of scared, so he went in the middle of the night and he tore that idol down so people would stop worshiping that idol. And it says here just a few verses later that he takes this gold, makes it into an outer garment, sets it in the city, and the people worship it. What a fade we've seen go from, from serving God and trusting God with 300 to setting up an idol for his town to worship. Not only is he choosing to make bad choices, but he's setting up other people to make bad choices in his community. Point number three, deconstruction happens quickly. Our deconstruction happens in isolation. Gideon should have had some mighty men be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Didn't you just tear down idols a few months earlier? Didn't you just rip this down? What are we doing setting up something for people to worship other than worshiping the one true God? But he didn't have that in his life. There's a term talking about deconstructing our faith that, that we talk about, a, kind of a new fad that, hey, I, my parents drug me to church and I had to go to church and I constructed my faith based upon what was written in this book, that this book was written 2,000 years before and based upon what other people have told me and, and my experience in the church and, and the church has done me wrong. Let me tell you something. I pray that Genoa never does you wrong, but the church is made up of men and women, men and women who are sinful. We will do you wrong. Right? The church will mess up just because we're sinful people in sinful positions. Jesus Christ and God will never mess up and never let you down. But keep in mind, churches will fail you. I pray that we don't. I pray it was another church that will fail you. I pray that no churches fail you. That's probably where I should say. Like, that the, the Bible-believing churches won't fail you. But the term that, that probably like 20 and 30-year-olds are saying about the church is I have to deconstruct my faith. I've built it up. And I become something I didn't want to be. And so I got to get rid of some of those biblical principles that I've learned. I've got to get rid of some of those experiences I had at church. And I got to see what's new here in these days. I got to see what the world says about certain things. And I think when you deconstruct your faith, other than times in Scripture where you see that something you believed is different and we match up our lives to what Scripture says, I think when people are deconstructing their faith, they're saying, you know what, I don't want God on the throne anymore. I want to be on the throne making my own choices and my own decisions. And I think that's where Gideon finds himself at this point. He knows that setting up an idol in the city is absolutely awful, but he doesn't care. He's enjoyed the applause. He's enjoyed the people talking about the event, talking about the game, talking about the battle. He's enjoyed that experience that he doesn't care what other people have to say. He's constructing his life that he is in charge of what he wants to do. And I think that if we're not careful, we can find ourselves, maybe the 11 o'clock service, not the best of the best front row, 9 o'clock service people, but we can find ourselves deconstructing our faith to make our faithfulness be what we want it to be rather than what Scripture wants it to be. And a couple things that we can do to combat that is, I believe, in, um, a couple things that we can do is always remember our need for God. 
drench ourselves in the Word of God. Guys, there is something powerful about being in the Word of God. Most of us, I think there's a couple hundred of us going through the 90 days in God's Word. If you'd like to sign up today for the 80 days in God's Word, you could just catch up and and replay those 10 days in your next 80 and go through the New Testament. You're going to learn the stories. You're going to hear some stories that you probably forgot since Sunday school. Well, what's going to happen is is what's going to happen is even the video I send out today talking about the 90 days is the verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And it says, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It says, listen, the word of God is sharper than anything that you have. And it doesn't cut bone to bone, doesn't cut flesh to flesh, but it's able to go between like soul and spirit and flesh. Something that we can't see, we can't touch, we can't see. And that's what the word of God does to us. It doesn't change our circumstances around us, but it changes who we are in those circumstances. I think it gives us the faith, the strength, the encouragement to be who God has called us to be. 90 days in God's word. If you want to sign up for it, just put an email on the connect card and drop it off in our Home Depot buckets in the end. Those of you here today, 80 days in God's word. Uh, another one, live in Christian community. If Gideon was in Christian community, someone should have smacked him and said, stop setting up idols because he wasn't. He didn't get to experience that. Living in Christian community is what we are called to do. Open up your bulletins now or after service, and you'll see the insert in there talking about getting involved in a life group. If you come to church on Sunday, that is awesome. You are doing a great thing. Keep doing it. But there's something better. There's something better. It's like going to a great steakhouse and ordering a burger, right? The burger's good. Don't get me wrong. It's probably a good burger. But if you go to a steakhouse and you don't get a steak, you're missing out, right? You're coming to church here, you're eating the burger, that's good, but we are called to live in community with one another, called to help one another, called to be there for one another, and we talk about the purpose of our groups. We have five purposes for our groups. We want you to belong. There's a show that I never watched, but my grandma watched as she was putting me to bed when I would go over her house and stay there, and you probably know the name of this, but It was a song that says, you want to go where everyone knows your name. Does anybody know that one? Sinner, 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 (laughs) sinner, sinner. Yep. It was based upon a bar. Shouldn't be watching that kind of filth. We want to go where we belong. Guys, it's difficult to belong in a sanctuary like this. Because if you people sit over here next, next service... The people around you don't know where you're at. The church that I grew up in, we sat like the first three rows right here, right? And if you didn't show up, you got a call on Sunday afternoon. Hey, is everything okay? Is, are you sick? Do you need anything? Are you out of town? And everyone knew your name. And so I think finding a, a church within the church, a group within that, and we've got about 70 different groups for you to get plugged in. They're all starting new things. Many of them are in the bulletin where you can find a, a place to plug in. We want you to have fun socially, but the whole point is to grow. Based upon some of the Wednesday night groups that I've seen, uh, if you go and you eat their food, your stomach will grow. (laughs) There are 17 groups on Wednesday night. Most of them have food every Wednesday night, and I check in on all 17 of them. (laughs) I was promised popcorn this week. I'm I'm excited. But we're going to grow in what it says in 2 Peter 3.15, that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, we want to be there for, for one another, but ultimately we want to grow in the grace and understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and the knowledge. Because the knowledge is experience of people that have been there, done that in positive ways that we follow and negative ways like Gideon. What we're learning today from Gideon, the experience he had, is something we learn from him so we don't replicate the fade of faithfulness that he had. We want you to serve in the groups. Guys, we had, I think, 1,000, 1,200 people serving when we fed uh, 100,000, 200,000 meals this past spring. We want you involved in ministries here at the church, and so we're serving. We want you to go, and, and basically you're going into the community or people you're already involved in. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, it tells us, hey, I want you to find faithful people who will teach other people. We want you to go to groups and learn these things so you can pass them on to other people. And when that happens... It ultimately leads to worship. We worship the Lord God, our Savior. All right, last point, and we'll get out of here quick, maybe. Um, verse 28 through 32, and this is, this is probably, um, well, here we go, verse 28. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Awesome. Jerubbabel, now listen, this is Gideon's, name that he was called when he tore down the false idol of his dad. I think it's so interesting that scripture goes back, when he's doing good things, it's Gideon. But now that he's fading away from faithfulness, he's Jerubbabel, which is let Baal contend. Talking about the false god. The son of Joash went to his own house, and Gideon had 70 sons of his own offspring, for he had many wives, wrong, a concubine, wrong, and bore him a son, and his name was Abimelech. Uh, he was buried and was no more. So much has changed. And when they needed God, they called upon God. When they needed God to step, on and do, step in and do something big, they reached out to God. But when they had peace and they didn't need God anymore, they worshiped their own idols. And I thought about this this week. I was at a friend's house, probably for our 17th Christmas party of the season, Monday night or Sunday night, whatever it was, and we hear about DeMar, the football player, DeMar Hamlin, who almost died on the field. If it wasn't for CPR for nine minutes and uh, the great people just keeping him alive, and he's doing well, and, and the first thing they ask him after three days is, did we win? And the doctor said, yes, DeMar, you won the game of life. You're still alive. What I saw on Tuesday and Wednesday is stuff we will not see the rest of the year. We saw ESPN. We saw radio hosts praying on live TV. Guys, we've outlawed prayer in school. You can't do that during the day. But when we need it, when we need God to step in and do something, we'll reach out to God. And I pray that we reach out to God on a daily basis, whether it's a big event or a small thing in our lives. Because if we're not careful... Point number five, four, we find ourselves in old habits. Old habits that we've beat already, we allow these old habits in. And here's the way that we stop old habits. Begin with the end in mind. What do you want to look like at the end of the year? Yeah, we all want to be 20, 30 pounds different. That's not going to happen. You've tried that before. Don't even think about that one. That resolution should already be stopped. Spiritually, what do you want to look like at the end of the year? For some of us, maybe it's just memorizing a couple verses. Maybe it's being more involved in the church. Well, you think about what you want to look at the end of this year, 
and build all those principles to help you look like that person. Uh, another one is to set achievable goals. Sometimes our, our goals aren't achievable. If, if you just became a Christian this past week and you want to read through the Old Testament this month, it's probably, probably not an achievable goal. Let's start in the New Testament, figure that out, and then we'll go back to the law and figure that out as well. But one of the books we've been reading, a staff we finished up a few weeks ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, uh, was the book Forward by David Jeremiah. If you haven't read that book, go get it, read it. Uh, it's awesome. And it talks about this illustration by this swimmer um, by the name of Florence Chadwick. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions in 1952. And she wanted to be the first woman to swim the 24 miles between the Catalina Islands and the California coast. And she went out and she set out swimming. And it was a cold, foggy day. She couldn't see much in front of her. And so she swam for 15 hours. And after 15 hours, she said, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know how much farther I have. I have to get in the boat. And then she got in the boat. She realized she was a little over 23 and a half miles of her 24-mile journey. And she was so disappointed because she couldn't see the finish line. She couldn't see the end. She says, if it wasn't foggy that day and I could have seen the land, I would have finished that journey. Well, it says two months later, she went back and finished the whole thing. I think sometimes as Christians, we can be the same way. Guys, I don't, I don't feel like I'm making a difference in the kingdom. I don't feel like I'm any further along this journey than I was 20 years ago. And, and I don't feel like the next 50 years I know what's going to happen, but I, I know I want to be closer to God. And I think sometimes our problem with that is we don't see because of the fog. And we don't see we aren't who we used to be. Yeah, we still blow up and explode from time to time, but it's not as much as it used to be. We're still sinful and we still have problems but it's not as much as it used to be. And I think our goal for us is not to plan out the next 50 years of, of obedience, but the goal is to plan out the obedience for the rest of the day and then wake up tomorrow and plan out the obedience for the next day and for the next day and for the next day. And that's what will stop the fade of unfaithfulness.